0: Welcome to The Investment Cuddle, episode 11. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about companies with a focus on public companies. So, Philip, what's a public company?
1: A public company is a company that is tradable on a recognised stock market. So, for example, the difference between a limited company is a company that has a limited liability, but is not tradable, its the underlying shares are not tradable on an open stock market, Whereas a public limited company in the United Kingdom is another limited liability company, but the shares are tradable on a public stock market. But otherwise, they're very similar.
0: Right, so you've got a private company and a public company. So if you're a private company and you want to go public, how do you do that?
1: So the most common method for a private company to go public is to have what is known as an initial public offering, which is often abbreviated as an IPO. This is where... The com- uh, company then engages with an investment bank or banks to arrange for them to publicise the new company um, with it predominantly its own clients and will arrange for the share, certain percentage of its shares, to be tradable on the stock market.
0: Okay, so why would anybody want to do an IPO? You know, If you're a private company, what's the point?
1: Well, historically, it was generally to access more capital so the company can grow. Now, as a private company or a public company, you can borrow money to grow, or you can use your cash flow from your business to grow. But sometimes, if you really need a big chunk of money, the historically the easiest way of getting that was to list your company on a stock market and raise the money by getting new shareholders. So often, this was the case in before, where small companies are and I want to double, treble my size because I really need to grow. Or i need to get into a bigger market they would often have an ipo now one of the ways because of doing it via an investment bank the ipo will be considered to being fully insured or fully underwritten this is where the investment banks organizing it are guaranteeing that they will buy any shares the company is floating on the stock market that the public don't want to buy so this ensures that the company gets exactly the same amount of money raised for them to grow As they've planned, you don't have to have it fully insured or fully underwritten. But there, if the market only buys ten percent of the shares you're offering, you only get ten percent of the value. So, therefore, it's a way of guaranteeing for the company you get the money you needed to grow.
0: Okay, so it's about predominantly growth
1: historically. Historically,
0: because you want you want to raise capital by giving elements of your business away Mm -hmm. for that that money.
1: Makes sense. And historically, that was also very important because this is capital for the company and there's only two ways a company gets capital retained profits from the past or shareholder capital so this is where growing your shareholder capital loans are just temporal temporary capital that have to be repaid or rolled over constantly rolled over so it's not the company's money so this is way where you got no this is the company's money okay
0: and so once they've done the ipo does that mean then they can raise money in other ways as well
1: it sometimes could be when you're a listed company it's easier to borrow money because you're one of the things is once you're a public limited company, your accounting standards and publications are much more onerous because you are now having to treat everyone, who current shareholders and potential shareholders, the same with open information that you don't as a private company and on a far more regular reporting basis. So it generally means it's easier to find out information about you to decide whether you're worth lending money to. Okay.
0: So when we did, we were talking about credit ratings a few episodes ago... Can a private company raise bonds in the way that a public company can raise bonds?
1: Yes, the difference might be, and is often the case, a public company, because there's far more public financial information out there because they have to report it far more frequently, they get a better rating from the credit ratings agencies because there's more information of which to gauge it off than a private company. Also, there's certain things... If you're an actual company going for an IPO, there are certain, or certainly be considered in any stock market indices, you have to have certain amounts of time you've been around so that there are at least two to three years of financial history and reports that can be gauged of how good or bad you are as a company.
0: Okay, so you said historically the IPOs were there to raise capital, to help companies grow. What's changed?
1: In our current low interest rate environment, quite a lot of companies don't need to raise money via capital, they can get it via private companies paying into them or they can just borrow the money much easier. So often for quite a, particularly in the tech industry, it's a way of current shareholders selling out. The money is not going to the company, it's going to the shareholders to their selling out. Whereas historically it wasn't, they the shareholders were giving up a percentage of their company to get money to grow it.
0: Yeah, which I guess in itself is interesting because you're wondering why then they're looking to get out and asking the public to come in and put their money where theirs once was.
1: That is one way of looking at it, yes. What do they know that, that others don't know, shall we say? Okay.
0: So there's been lots of IPOs recently, but let's let's park IPOs for a minute. One of the other things that there's been various companies talking about or actually doing recently, putting out notes into the into the public domain that they're going to do is the rights issue. So what's what's a rights issue versus a, an IPO? Is that just another IPO or in effect it is
1: very, very similar to an IPO what the company is doing is it's going back out to the market and saying I'm going to issue new shares to raise more shareholder capital for the company to grow it historically it was often done where you want to buy another company or you want to seriously expand you'll reissue so it could be ones where you're offering new shares to buy a new factory or to acquire another company because you need the pure cash what happens here is generally they're saying the company currently has 1 million shares. We're going to issue an extra 100,000 shares. And the money raised from that, we're going to use to do something. Another, And that's usually when you're growing. There's other ones which are more likely what's happening at the moment where you currently have a million shares. You're offering in 2 million new shares to bring your total number of shares to 3 million. So effectively, you're diluting the current shareholders lot because you're desperate for cash. And this is one way to make you stable by having a lot more cash reduced annual borrowing. Yeah,
0: so I, I think you, you made the point there about the current shareholders. This sounds like a bad deal for the current shareholders based on the fact that they, you use the word dilution, which, as, as I understand it, means that you're putting more shares in. So therefore, the value of your current share is worth less than whatever those, that, that proportion of new shares is, surely?
1: Depends. Now, what you're trying to do is, if you're trying to grow the company by maybe financing a new factory or buying another company, you're going. To, your proposal to the shareholders at the moment is, I know each individually will be diluted, but by doing this, we grow together. Your individual share will be worth more, even though it's a smaller fraction of the company than it was before. The other one could be that when you're doing it to save the company, going, we need to lower our debt levels, and it's far better to do this via a rights issue, the other thing that's at least in the UK, under UK law, there is a historic practice of what's known as pre-emptive rights. This is where, and this goes back to case law, current shareholders have first refusal for any new shares created. They have to waive those rights for you before you can offer it to somebody else. So for example, Company B has 1 million shares and it's going to offer another 100,000 shares to go and buy a new factory. It has to give its current shareholders the same pro rata basis of those new shares that they currently own, so they don't. You give the option that they don't dilute. So if they had 10 shares and you're offering one new share, you have to offer them first the option of buying that one new share for every 10, so they don't dilute before you can offer it to somebody else.
0: Yeah, but if, but surely then, if they're buying that 11th share for their cash, having already put 10 shares worth of cash in, and the market capitalisation of the company, what the company's worth total, doesn't change. Surely their shares are then diluting, aren't they? Yes.
1: Their analysis says, with the company, by growing its share capital, we will make the company more valuable in the future. Not tomorrow, but in the near future and the long-term future, by doing this, it will be worth more money. It is better doing it this way than just saying borrow the money.
0: So as a shareholder, then, you really need to understand that, company where you think that company's going what its business has been like and what the projections are
1: and whether you believe the projections
0: yeah but you really need to understand that before you put any you know it's the phrase of to me anyway is good money after bad yes is you can turn around and say well yeah it's bad money now because those 10 shares aren't going to be worth what they were so you turn around and say well actually okay I'll cut my losses or you then put more of your cash into the 11th share thinking that the those 11 shares in the future will be worth more than your 10 would have been. Yes. That's a tough choice. Yeah. To, for me, as a, as a mere mortal, I'm sitting there and going, I don't want to have to make those kind of mm-hmm. decisions. So therefore, it makes me wonder, would I be investing in a company that's doing a rights issue where, on the latter case, you've got to be convinced that everybody's holding hands here and go, and going to make sure that the company's got a temporary cash flow or debt challenge and that that will be resolved pretty pretty quickly
1: otherwise get out surely and this is where the crux of the thing comes down to it if you are an investor and not a trader and a speculator that is exactly the decision you have to make is it actually by doing this making the value of the company greater over the long term and it's worth doing purely as an investor just as i say if you're lending money to somebody you want to do they have the ability to pay it back mm-hmm. plus the interest so yeah. it's one of those questions. It's it's all down to that. You're an investor. You're looking at their business case. Going, is it still viable? Is it going to grow? Is it going to help grow the company? And in many cases, a lot in the distant past, many many really big companies have grown that way. But they kept offering new rights issues to grow. Right. So, so and yeah. it, is a, it does work. It Sometimes spectacularly doesn't work.
0: Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is, you know, I'm Mr. I'm Mr. Shareholder in the IPO, and then at some point in the future, they come along and say, right, we're going to do a rights issue. My initial public offering gets diluted in the rights issue, but I'm so convinced this company's got a future, and I'm you know happy with what they're doing as a business. Their numbers are good. They've had a temporary. Taking on too much debt, grown too fast, whatever it is, they're having a slight readjustment. I'm absolutely convinced I want to be in that rights issue and take the advantage that I've got as a shareholder to take those extra shares. That eleventh share, let's say in the example, you've got you've got ten already. Happy enough with that. What I'm not happy about is a situation where you're then turning around and going, well, this company, you know, they've 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 hit the buffers, they've over leveraged out they've got too much debt. Their numbers aren't looking good in terms of growth. Their cash flows are appalling. I'm not putting any more money into that rights issue.
1: And maybe this is the point, which is worth emphasising strongly, as a private investor who wants to manage his own investments. These are the active decisions you have to make. Now, you can delegate if you went to some collective investment vehicles and let an investment manager deal with this. Because these are the bits that are really difficult to work out. It's something you should have formed your own opinion on going, is it something I just stay clear of or do I want to partake That. And at the end of the day, you're a private investor. If you want to actually manage your own investments, you're going to have to make that decision. Just know what, what we're trying to explain here is what is a rights issue. There are several extremes of it. What really happens? But at the end of the day, the business case that the company has put forward, you have to go and read it and decide whether you believe it or not. And yeah. then make your decisions accordingly.
0: And, and I think that's difficult, isn't it? When you look at the you know a shareholding in that company, you know, you'll get a um, corporate action come through it might be just for information or it's asking you to make a decision but I think you go back to the the latter case with the rights issue if I'm in that scenario I'm asking myself why I'm still owning that stock prior to the rights issue because actually I should be running for the hills and have sold it by now so we've talked about within the rights issue the the potential dilution of your Mm -hmm. holding if you're an existing shareholder that brings us on to kind of thinking about when you talk about public companies you know you hear the phrase stock split and reverse split or some people have said about stock consolidation. Apple, who did a stock split famous one, most fairly recently. recently. What's the thinking there?
1: Let's start off with a stock split. This is one where basically you're not changing the value of the company. It's just changing the number of shares for a certain percentage of the company. Say, for example, a stock split of the two to one. Basically, where you had one, you get they'll take off the original one and give you two new ones. So effectively, its individual share price halves but the company hasn't changed. Or you could do a 10 to one split where for every one share you had you suddenly, they take that one of eight and give you 10 new ones. So the share price is a 10th of what it was before. Now you might say why would i want to do this just take one analogy is saying depending on who you're trying to aim your shareholder base as the most famous example of a company that's never ever done a stock split until late 90s early 2000 i think was berkshire hathaway warren buffett and was basically very adamant against these so originally the shares that were trading for a couple of dollars in the 60s were trading best part of $150,000 a share now so basically most people you're locked out you can't buy it you just can't even afford a share let alone a couple so often what the companies do is you become very liquid because less and less people could even consider buying you so one of the rationales is i want to keep my share price within a certain range because it allows people to buy them relatively easily so you want to, some people want to keep it within a couple of pounds, not going with hundreds of pounds, not much beyond hundreds of pounds per share, because it allows the biggest number of people to could potentially own you. So what you'll find is that the share, the value of the company goes up and up and up. They're going, what we're saying is actually in each individual share is worth too much for what we think our shareholders or the base of shareholders we want to be able to consider us could afford. So I'm going to basically halve the share price by doubling the number of shares in circulation.
0: Right. And in that instance, then, with a the stock split, the shareholder who has the one share, who gets two or ten back, is not parting with any additional money, cash, for that, are they? That's
1: exactly. Originally, you own one share. I'm going to take that original share certificate off and give you ten new share certificates for every one share you had or every two shares you had. And that's how it works. Now, in the end, there is another reason why this sometimes can help you because it's very academic going, well, why do you even want to do that? And uh, as Berkshire Halfway found out was sometimes you want to pay when you do mergers and acquisitions. You don't always want to do it in pure cash. Sometimes you'd like to pay for the merger with your own shares. Now when your own share is valued at £155,000 or dollars per share, the other side may not want it because it means it's you've got very step-like Pricing, because every time you go up by a share, it goes up by 100000 $150,000. So one of the things that Berkshire did find was he did create a second class of shares in addition. So they did do effectively a stock split in the end in the early 2000s class a shares which are the same original shares they had when the Berkshire Hathaway was first taken over by warren buffett and they, they haven't changed the numbers of those since then but b shares are the ones they've generated more and they try to keep it in the tens of dollars range if i remember rightly and they often use those shares when they're buying companies so that it's not all cash so that's another reason because it can be cheaper to pay with your own shares and just pay pure cash
0: right so the, the other element there with the stock split is rather than just doing a split in multiples, you create a different class of share.
1: Can be. Not always, but can be.
0: And reverse split, or some people have said about stock consolidation.
1: Less common, but it does occasionally happen. Uh, This is basically where before we had, and it generally happens when you're a very large company, but effectively your shares are trading in pennies, because then you become quite volatile. And what you can do is you're going around going, I want to be less volatile. So what I'm going to do is trade in. So for every 10 shares you had, I'm going to give you one. So I basically reduce the number of shares accordingly and therefore I push the share price so I now become pounds instead of pennies example that's less common but it does happen usually when companies have had to do lots of rights issues in the past and they've one example currently in the UK is Lloyd's Bank they had to do rights issues and they had to offer these rights issues to the government because no one in the market bought them so the government was the underwriting them and now the government sold them to get most of the shares back into the market they're trading as penny shares they might at some point in the future decide to do a stock consolidation basically to push them back to be worth pounds instead of pennies Mm
0: -hmm. okay so that's the reverse split so the other thing that we should probably cover on public companies is share buybacks
1: what is a share buyback this is where the company off the open stock market goes and buys a number of its own shares and cancels them so you decrease the number of total shares that's tradable and they're permanently deleted now Often it's phrased as this is a way of giving money back to the shareholders. Personally, I prefer you to pay me a dividend because if I'm not selling the share for it to be deleted, I'm not gaining any value out of it. There is cynics who claim that board directors of management like doing this because all of the financial metrics that are based on number of shares in circulation like earnings per share, profit per share, dividend per share. When you've got less shares in existence, go up without actually doing anything. I personally don't like it. Many, should we say, big fund management groups do like it because technically it comes out of capital, so for taxation reasons it can be beneficial. But I only get money out of a company when they pay me a dividend or I sell my share. So if I don't sell the share, it doesn't affect me. And that's the way I look at it. Others look at it differently.
0: Right. So when we talked about, you know, the rights issue and the IPO we're generating capital, you know, this is the opposite then, isn't it? The company's giving up cash, capital that they've got to buy their own shares back, to change the metrics, as you said, on the way the company is viewed. So surely the positive of that would be, increasing the share price so for you if you own those shares that is a positive predominantly
1: it? it would could be you often need to look at it and say and this is why doing your own research is much important because if the pay packets of the senior directors of the company are based off say earnings per share dividend per share growth per share the quickest and easiest way of to hit your target is to do share buybacks and not deliver real growth making the company appear it is getting better because it's got in more growth per share when you actually look at the company and it's flat and it actually hasn't had any growth there are numerous cases um, i believe it was some of the things that terry smith wrote about in his book about people doing this sort of thing back in the 80s early 90s that got him fired from his first job at credit suisse good good book actually what's the title of that accounting for growth if i remember rightly it yeah, is you can still get hold of secondhand copies Yeah, and good. i would recommend reading it yeah, yeah. because this is in finance Nothing is new. It's, it's just repackaged. Yeah. It's not a page turner, but it's a good read. So. And these sort of accountancy practices keep going. Karelian is probably the best example of people who gained the system by making the company look like it's growing when it wasn't. Right. And we all know what happened to Karelian. They are bankrupt yeah. and were liquidated. So that's, that's basically there. I'm sceptical of share buybacks because what they do, if you're a large financial entity, there might be tax reasons that makes it more advantageous.
0: All right. The last thing that I was going to raise with you is SPACs. I have absolutely no idea what a SPAC is until you mentioned it
1: yes oh. and it stands for special purpose acquisition companies now historically these were should we say anomalies in the financial investment industry that is not really interesting or useful that occasionally happened last year or two the number of these facts are being used has ballooned i mean if you listen to the ft uh, bloomberg well they never used to speak about these these are all rage now now first of all i assume you have no idea what one is Absolutely. So <laughs> oh, no conferring. <laughs> I, I can't even find a friend on this one. And until I must admit, till four months ago, I had never even heard of them. This is where a shell company is formed and listed on a stock, and has an IPO and listed on a stock market with its sole job is to basically go and buy private listed company and it's a a reverse IPO. It's another way of getting an IPO without getting quite a lot of due diligence needed. Um, Whereas with an IPO, with a traditional IPO, you get a lot of due diligence where you put a lot of prospectuses out there about what you're buying, what you're trying to sell, uh, what your business case is, your finances at three, four, possibly five, six, seven years needed before anyone really believes you to kick the tires to show that you're competent, as a managing group and you have a business case that holds water and you're worth investing in when this round the other way you're basically putting money into a company a shell company who's going to buy something where they don't have to tell you what due diligence they've done or not done on the acquisition the private company they just acquired the most famous example of this i can give you a recent SPAC was Nikola. This is the electric truck company. They were trying to do what Tesla did for cars, but for for the um, industrial trucking industry.
0: Yeah, so heavy, heavy goods vehicles that sort of. That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, their share price were going up and up and up, and all of a sudden there was a few, should we say, rumours that came out that maybe they didn't have the technology they thought they had or they they released to the say they had and maybe there wasn't when kicking the tires there wasn't much substance behind them some things came out that their promotional videos were trucks rolling down hills and not actually under their own power and they were forced to admit this recently and then it came out of course that under a normal IPO you would this sort of information would have come out or the IPO would have collapsed whereas in a it was like six months before this sort of thing, and you already bought in. So there's a lot of concern at the moment. I mean, in America, the regulators, the equivalent of the Financial Services Authority in America, the Securities Commission, is looking into these because these could be the next scandal coming because they've or in the number of these SPACs that have been going on. Before, you only had one or two a year. Now we've got four or five hundred a year. Be very careful with these, the companies that had an IPO virus SPAC.
0: Okay. So if I was slightly unhappy about the rights issue aspects, I don't like the SPAC. But it sounds about it at all. You would wanna do, you, yeah. yeah.
1: You wanna do your own due diligence on that. I am seriously sceptical when it comes to what's actually been acquired via that SPAC and yeah. that you don't know and it who is it benefiting.
0: So that's a a, a a concern. Okay. So we've obviously talked a little bit about the aspects of how companies become public companies. And we've talked about the IPO, the initial public offering. So for me, that's kind of, you know, you float you float the company. You ideally are not trying to offload your stock holding and get the cash for it. You are actually looking to generate cash to invest in the business and take that forward. That's probably the aspect of a good IPO. The other aspects we've talked through, like the rights issue, the stock split, share buyback, that strikes me that it's really all liquidity Focused Now, I'm not not saying the IPO is not liquidity focused, but let's assume the initial public offering, it's out there, the company's functioning. These other corporate actions that you will get exposure to if you're a stockholder, rights issues, stock splits, share buybacks, is it fundamentally just about
1: the raising or reducing of liquidity? The stock split or the stock consolidation is about share liquidity management, partly to keep it arranged a range that gives you the broadest base of your shareholders and allowing you to use it, your own shares to buy other companies if you want to expand that way instead of just being by pure cash. Yes, that's mainly what they are. Um, Other things, share buybacks could be a different way of being used for different reasons. Rights issues are there to gain money for capital for the company. What you have to decide is it's something about is this money being used so it can grow and prosper and be bigger and more valuable than it currently is? Or is it they have a serious cash flow problem and maybe it's now showing up that they aren't working so well, but then you have to make your own decision on that. But these are the sort of things where if you're investing in individual companies, you need to make those sort of decisions because these things happen.
0: Yeah. And I think that for me is the one where we've talked quite a lot on the podcast about buying unit trusts and investment trusts. So funds where it's the fund manager's decision on what they buy because they're doing this for their job. And that's where when you're buying individual companies, these are the things you need to be looking at or you'll be exposed to as we said through corporate actions or you want to go and invest in an an IPO because it sounds exciting actually for me in a lot of cases I'd be happier to leave that to a fund manager to make that decision
1: and that's similar here I mean if you haven't got the time or the energy, because some of this stuff is not easy to go and find, written by lawyers in very, in very legalist speak that doesn't necessarily mean very much to you as, an, as a private individual, it can be quite time consuming and laborious and it might be more efficient to have a fund manager you are paying to do that and manage that for you. So I often get a fund manager to do that for me.
0: Yeah, unless, unless this you know this investing game is something you've got time to spend a lot of time on, and if you've not distracted by, let's say, I don't know, a full-time job, <laughs> that isn't in the investing market. Yeah, maybe a fund, a fund is a good a good route to 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 go down. Well, thank you to Philip, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, that just reminds me of a joke you, know, you said about the the
1: truck running down the hill, the Rolls Canardly. Don't know that. joke. Rolls down one hill and Canardly get up the other. Boom boom. program has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the program is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the program's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional
0: before investing.